So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello Man fans, Ollie Man here with your monthly serving suggestion of trends, sex, music and real life stories. Here's what's coming up. I don't know, it just felt like unbelievable. Like, how can you be right and then people be talking about what they're going to do to you for things that you haven't even done? Regrets, prosecutions and missing money. I meet the couple whose business dreams were ruined by an algorithm. Plus... If you are going in the brown eye, keep your eyes open to potential risks. Alex Fox on Bun in the Oven Bum Fun and Ollie Peart gets creative on Cameo. It's all to come in this edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters and congratulations are in order to Manfan Timothy in Baltimore, whose wife is shortly expecting a bundle of joy, a bambino. She's going to give birth to a euphemism. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Timothy says, Ollie, in preparation in the last couple of days, I've listened to all your How to Be a Dad episodes back to back. I don't think I've ever been so excited to join the club. Uh, That is a relief, Timothy. For a second there, I was worried you were going to say you were full of regret. Um, (laughs) But good. Uh, Here's some money, he says, for six beers, one for each dad episode that you've made. Keep up the great work. Uh, Thank you, Timothy. Um, It's never too late to chuck us some cash, even if you've been going back through the archive and you're listening to stuff that's been on there for a while. um, It all helps us make the show. And indeed, we are five years old this month, can you believe? Uh, It's funny because I still think of this show slightly as my kind of startup side hustle. But actually, I realised the other day, we are as old as my dad wrote a porno. That's how long we've been going. Um, But we do still need you to spread the word. If you like this show, please tell your friends because it... I think because it's a magazine format, it's slightly difficult maybe for new listeners to get their head around exactly what it is that we do. So a recommendation from you is really the best publicity we can have. Leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends in person. That is how we can keep going for another five years or more. Um, Thanks as well for the the phenomenal response we've had to Lexi's story in last month's episode. Uh, Anissa says, I was really touched by Lexi's story and what an incredible journey she's been through. I wish her all the best in her life and I want to thank her so much for sharing. Uh, Sabrina, who is trans herself, says, Ollie, thank you for highlighting Lexi's story. When I went to my first job interview during my transition... I knew I hadn't got the job when an employee had to call one of the interviewers back to the office and said, it is here. And in terms of the operation, anyone who tells you it's just a life choice has no idea what genital electrolysis is like. Uh, And Ollie Newport on Twitter, at The Modern Man, says, I'm transitioning, non-binary. I appreciate you giving a platform to a trans person. 
but you should know the wait time for the NHS gender identity clinics is now 32 to 48 months. Um, yeah, and no doubt getting longer now due to COVID as well. Uh, a quick thank you before we get going on this month's show to our sponsors, Beer 52. They are the world's most popular craft beer club, and with very good reason. I am a paying subscriber. I look forward to it landing on my doormat every month. Um, my case arrived just the other day. It had a blood orange pale ale in it uh, from Great South Bay. It had a sour stout from Brooklyn Brewery, and even a grapefruit beer, can you believe, from Westchester County. Absolutely delicious. And you can try it out for free yourself. All you pay is the postage. Just for being a man fan, you can get eight free beers, a magazine and a snack sent to you now. Just head on over to beer52.com slash modern to claim your free case. That is the word beer, the number five, the number two, dot com slash modern. Links in the show notes. Uh, right, on this month's episode, you will learn what a sub postmistress is. You'll learn what you can do once you've got 20,000 followers on Instagram. And you'll learn why, if you're pregnant, even with a monogamous partner, it still might be best to use a condom. Let's go. Time for the zeitgeist. Your trends tested with Ollie Peart, who has, I read on Twitter, just deleted Twitter from his phone. Just because I found myself using it literally all of the time. So what I've done now, I post on Instagram on Twitter, but I do it from my computer. So were you getting the, the red notification anxiety thing? Were you feeling that itch? The first few days after I deleted it, I'd automatically go and just try and find the app on my phone and be like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? See, following the conversation we've had in the past, mm. uh, I actually moved the apps that I use the most to the third page of my smartphone. Right. So that it would be more effort to get to them. I'd have to scroll across four pages and then reach up. I'd have to, I, I thought, I'd have to knowingly be thinking, right, I'm going to go into Twitter. Yeah. But then what happens is your thumb just somehow learns. <laughs> like it has my own, and it just does it. Yeah, it comes at a time because on Netflix there's a film called The Social Dilemma, which has just come out. And it's got the same guy in it, Jaron Lanier, who wrote the book that I spoke about on the podcast, and he's in there. And then I watched it and I thought, oh yeah, I really should rethink about how I'm using social media because it's really doing my head in. But exactly that, it just trains your thumb. You're like an octopus. You've got brains in your hands, Ollie. I mean, my prediction is, in a year's time, you will have it back on the homepage of your phone. But <laughs> it's an interesting exercise in abstinence, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, well, <laughs> just as well then. So we're now faced with a man who's uh, battling with the anxieties of uh, using various smartphone apps. Uh, that last month, man fan Leanne in Aberdeen challenged you, Ollie, to use another one. Uh, <laughs> because you may recall <laughs> yeah. that the challenge for this month is to use the celebrity voicemail platform Cameo mm -hmm. and to discover how it's most creatively being used, for which we equipped you with £200 of our hard-earned show budget. I kind of knew a bit about Cameo before we started this. You know, simply put, it is an app and a website where you can book celebrities to say things whatever you want basically within reason and when you say celebrities there's proper genuine celebrities john cleese used to be on there i'm not sure he's on there anymore snoop doggy dog is on there so some really famous people on there but what they do as a company is if somebody goes viral for whatever reason they will hunt out who that person is and they will try and invite them to join the platform. They do have an automatic threshold for what they constitute somebody as a celebrity, which is 20,000 followers on Instagram. So if you've got 20,000 followers on Instagram, you're automatically admitted to the platform. But okay, so that accounts for why there's some people on there that appear to be kind of TikTok famous, but I have no idea who they are. Exactly. How creative is it? 
Because that's what Leanne was asking you about. Is it just birthday messages or are people doing other things? When you book a cameo, right, it gives you a whole bunch of options of the type of request that you want. So you get birthday, which, you know, we're all familiar with. <laughs> we're all familiar with from our <laughs> multiple years on Earth. There's give thanks, pep talk, announcement, question, get advice, roast. So you could have a celebrity roast you if you want. Comedy roast, you know what I mean. And the last one is just cause. So one of the, one of the weirdest ones that I've come across is a YouTuber called Mongo who got asked by a landlord to say a personal message to his tenant basically saying, you're evicted. Shit. She got paid 78 quid to do that. Yeah, so that, that's the thing. So they get to say yes or no, do they? So you put in your yeah. credit card details, put in a request, mm-hmm. I want Miriam Margulies to wish my boyfriend happy birthday. But She's then if there, she checks way. through your boyfriend on Twitter and thinks, oh no, he's a Klansman. I don't want to send him a happy birthday message. She doesn't have to. Uh, yeah, exactly. They have full control over what they want to do, the celebrities themselves. So aside from bad taste evictions, <laughs> um, I imagine people have been using it for other things, especially during lockdown, right? And that's why Leanne got in touch with us. She'd read that Cameo has been booming over the past few months. Yeah, not just because of users, by the way. Like, I think most of this is driven by celebrities because celebrities have been out of work. So between right. February and March of this year, there was a 77% increase in celebrities signing up to Cameo. So that's driven a lot of the growth. Okay, so who did you get? So the first person I went for was a guy called Barney Harwood. Have you ever heard of Barney Harwood? I mean, I suspect for the budget we have, I wouldn't have heard of any of these people, so I think that's fine. But no, I don't think so. Well, the reason I booked him is because one of our listeners, Mike, got in touch and said, you have to book Barney Harwood. He's an ex-Blue Peter presenter, and he puts so much effort into his videos, it is worth every penny. So I just put in a request to him, and I said, can you tell me why you use Cameo, and what do you get out of it? Like, what's the point? Ollie, I hope you can hear me okay. I'm on my phone, because I'm going to take you on a little journey today into the heart of Blackpool, which has just been locked down. Normally Cameo is for birthday messages and for graduation messages and those sorts of things. And because I was on CBBC for 17 years, the audiences that were watching when they were eight are now in their mid-twenties. Don't worry about that, that was just gunfire. (laughs) Welcome to Blackpool. Um, Long story short, I do Cameo so that I get to give out messages to people. They get to give me a couple of quid and I get to give that to the Alzheimer's Society. So um, that's what I get out of it. I get to help other people like my grandparents, which uh, for me is, uh, is a very, very worthy cause. So bear with me while I just cross the tram lines here. We're going to enter a shop now, which is uh, a shop that I've been coming to since I was about five years old. We're going to this particular shop. Let me give you a little shot of it from over the road. As you can see from the smile on my face, I'm very excited about being here because it's basically just a building full of sugar. And if you take a look at these little shelves here, you might see loads of names. And if we come down here, well, what are the chances? Ah, oh, he's bought me some Ollie Rock. So there you go, Ollie, your own stick of black bull rock. And all you had to do was get in touch and ask a simple question. So thank you very much and, uh, and all the best. I mean, that was a properly produced video that he sent us. He's gone full on there. Um, one sort of minor detail. I haven't got that sticker rock. <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't sent well, it. Well, he didn't actually say he was going to post it to us, did he? No, he said, well, he, said um, he was going to get me a present. I was half expecting him to message me separately because you can do that within Cameo and say, oh, Ollie, what's your address? I'll send you this rock. And uh, he didn't. But, you know, yeah, right. it's all for a good cause, whatever. But Well, yes, that obviously immediately nullifies any concerns you sort of have about it doesn't it like what makes me feel uncomfortable about it is the whole thing makes me a bit sad 
but someone's career has derailed to the point where the best way for them to make money is by sort of prostituting themselves out so that they can... I know you can say cheer someone up, but a lot of the messages are going to be ironic or sort of, you know, asking them to do slightly degrading things. And I think for people that have had mainstream media careers, there's just something a little bit unpleasant about it that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. However... He's making money for the Alzheimer's Society. So that is then a completely different thing, isn't it? What he was saying about the fact that people who are now in their 20s, he's a big name to them. That resonated with me because I was thinking about... Do you remember Dave Benson Phillips? (laughs) He was on Kids Daily when we were kids. I do remember, yeah. Yeah. He was doing the student circuit when we were students. And I remember, I never saw him, but I remember a couple of times I went to students' unions and they'd have big posters up saying Dave Benson Phillips was coming to open the nightclub. And I remember being a bit excited about that. It's obviously lodged in my brain that that happened. So I suppose it's that, isn't it? Like, And actually, if you can do effectively a student union nightclub appearance remotely, then you can give all the money to charity because it hasn't really cost you anything, has it? It's just taken an hour of your time. Mm. So I, I think it's actually quite nice. I do feel a bit better about it having watched that video. It's not like they're all celebrities that have got, you know, had careers or whatever or kind of struggling for money. The most expensive person on Cameo, for example, is Caitlyn Jenner. She charges $2,500 to send people messages. And the majority of the messages are inspirational and motivational messages and people are going for that because like that message I got from Barney when I watched it I was like that's weird I was not expecting to feel like this I feel genuinely (laughs) like this is a lovely thing what a nice thing and I was doing it for us you know I wasn't doing it because I wanted a little pep talk to feel better but I was like somebody has taken their time out of their day yeah fine okay I've paid them some money but to send me a really nice message and it's lovely and the work that went into it. And there is something lovely about that, especially if it's mm. from a, a familiar face, if you like. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that the different uh, reaction that you get as the recipient, as mm. the individual recipient being spoken to directly by the person. Yes. It's different the reaction that you're thinking then to the reaction that you're processing when you hear that Cameo exists. Because the reaction that you process when you hear that Cameo exists is basically, ha, 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 look at them. <laughs> you know, they'd be giving blowjobs in a car park, but no, they're doing this instead. <laughs> Whereas actually when you get the video yourself, you're kind of like, oh, okay, they are talking directly to me and this is, it's an experience I can't get anywhere else. I yeah. Guess. One of the other people that I got, and I was genuinely excited about it, was Paul Chuckle from the Chuckle Brothers. Right? Wow, okay. Yeah, when I booked it, I was just like, oh yeah, Paul Chuckle, da 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 da, fine, whatever. And then when the notification came through on my email and said, Paul Chuckle sent you your cameo, <laughs> I was like, what? And he uses my name. So did you ask uh, Mr. Chuckle to give you some positive inspiration as well? Yeah, I did. So I was looking for like inspirational quotes on Instagram, um, but I also found a, a bot online which just creates inspirational quotes. All I said is, hi Paul, I was a big fan as a kid. Could you please say this? It's to inspire some other people. Ollie Peart, this is an inspirational quote to you and your friends. Not to me, to you. (laughs) Madness is a collective unconscious trained to explore the improbability of reality. Obviously. In other words, chuckle vision. (laughs) Anyway, guys, have a great day, but remember, no slacking. I mean, I'm converted. Yeah, I think so. I'm so pleased. <laughs> How much was Paul Chuckle? He was thirty-seven pounds and thirty-five pence, Ollie. <sighs> it's still a bit depressing. I wish it wasn't. I wish I could just say this is incredible, but that's low, isn't it, for Paul Chuckle? Paul Chuckle, with the right representation, that video should have been two hundred and fifty quid. Yeah, but but it's you're not... cheating Paul Chuckle out of revenue stream. <laughs> but it's not about that. This is where I think the confusion comes from because it's not about that because they could charge a, a lot more money, but it's about what your fans can afford for one. 
and and about connecting with your fans. Surely it's more about that. Because why? What's the point? What would be the point in being worth hundreds of millions of dollars and being on this platform? The one of the founders of Cameo describes it in a brilliant way. I think he says that the selfie is the new autograph. This is like giving back to your fans. Yeah, okay, you pay, but okay. So we've got what 130 quid left still in the pot. Who else do you get? I got uh, Annie Wallace from Hollyoaks. Break up with your comfort zone. And no, you can't be friends. You are much stronger than you think you are. Trust me. All right. I don't know who she is, but if I was a Hollyoaks fan, maybe that would mean something more. Probably. That was quite short. £16.60. pence. That's a quick earner, isn't it? Huh? 60. You yeah. know, you think if you, she's knocking out a few of those a day, she's doing all right. In fact, well, you... she's not. If she's knocking out a few of those, <laughs> she's earning 60 quid. Well, no. It's still not... I mean, it's all right. Sid, right. But... The, one of the most impressive stats on this, right? And this is yeah. amazing. You, have you heard of James Buckley from The Inbetweeners? You know him? Yeah, he's the blonde one, isn't he? Yeah. During lockdown, okay, he has recorded almost 2,000 videos. And he charges roughly 50 bucks a video. So he's made wow. £83,000 from recording those videos. And some of them are as short as that. Who else have you got then? Hey, Ali, I'm Fred Stoller. Maybe you know me from Seinfeld, Fred Yerkes, Cousin Gerard, Everybody Loves Raymond, Stu the Waiter on Friends. That's what I always say when I see my mother. She goes, who are you? What have you accomplished? I don't let her negativity get to me. I am very positive. You know what my quote is? People say nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. I show them those people with that nothing is impossible quote. So use my positivity, Ali. You can have it. He did not believe the words he was saying. (laughs) The thing about Fred Stoller is he was in Seinfeld. That's one of the most successful American sitcoms. So if you're a fan of that, that makes you within touching distance. Yeah, yeah, 20 feet from stardom. I get it, yeah. That's an amazing... I mean, who would you have? Who would you have if you could have anybody at all giving Mm. you an inspirational message you're feeling a bit miserable you're feeling a bit down Ollie who would you have if I suppose if Dolly Parton wrote me a song that would be pretty fucking great if Dolly Parton wrote you a fucking song yeah yeah yeah, okay I said inspirational messages not a song commission yeah take her a second to toss it out Ollie I mean she was sitting there with a guitar on her lap and she was like Ollie man Ollie man you're the greatest podcast man that would be fine that sounds very familiar that song I would I would (laughs) it's just three chords in the truth Ollie well actually believe it or not you can have Dolly Parton kind of what is it a drag queen it's Kelly O'Brien apparently she's the world's best Dolly Parton tribute impersonator 45 quid Ollie Leanne's original task was to get creative with cameo so have you seized the ball by the horns yeah I think so I went and got a load of inspirational messages as many as I could anyway and I sent them to a music producer like a proper one to create a Baz Luhrmann-esque sunscreen edit you know Fern Cotton I have heard of Fern Cotton yes She's actually releasing a new song with Helen Mirren, which is along the same lines. It's like happy quotes, inspirational quotes and uh-huh. stuff within a, in a song. You know, like that Baz Luhrmann song. So I thought if she can do it, we can do it. And it starts with Ricky Groves from EastEnders. In these strange times we're living, stay positive. And if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat. 
Just get on. 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 Calm seas are where you'll find your peace. But storms are where you'll find your power. Rock on. Just get on. Madness is a collective unconscious trying to explore the improbability of reality. In other words, chuckle vision. Just get on. <laughs> Break up with your comfort zone. And no, you can't be friends. You are much stronger than you think you are. Trust me. People say nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. Just get on. Just get on. Make capitalism trendy, responsibility can lead to denial. Rock on. Just get on. But remember, no slacking. You too can be the reason your friend wakes up in a hospital. <laughs> Wow. I, I don't know what the original budget for everybody's free-to-wear sunscreen was, but I bet it was more than 200 quid. You've done very well, though. It sounds really good, doesn't it? Well, look, I, yeah. it's not, not just me to thank. So uh, the song itself was actually from man fan Laurie Harrison. Uh, uh-huh. That's the song that we ruined. Uh, and his label, Greenbird Recordings. And uh, Tim Gifford, thanks to him, because he put it all together. It wasn't me. They've done an amazing job. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It sounded a bit like the Avalanches. Do you remember that? Yes. Like that, but with the Chuckle Brother. Yeah, and also that was Brendan Benson from the band The Raconteurs. What are the rights implications, by the way, of doing that? Well, we can't we can't sell that song, basically. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But what happens if you're um, just getting a cameo and then you put it on your social media? Is that fair? Yes, that's fine. You can do that. You can share them. There's also a commercial option for some of them. So if you're booking for a business and you want somebody to endorse a brand, you'll have to pay more money but they'll endorse your brand. So what has it done to your perspective on Cameo? Do you think you'd be using it in the future for a friend's birthday or for a pep talk? Yeah, I don't think I'd use it for myself, but I think I'd... Don't use it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, Box of Quality Street is fine. For somebody's birthday, like my mum, I bet there's someone that my mum would love a message from on there. So I think I would use it, yeah. Well, time to discover if you will be similarly enthused by your challenge for next month. It is from man fan John in Reading who says, something I like doing has become a trend, Mm -hmm. and that is painting my nails. Right. I'd like Ollie to discover why more men are getting their nails done and for Ollie to create his own look. This is the year of the manicure, according to Esquire. (laughs) So it's not just about um, the goth look. Yeah. It's men expressing themselves through their nails in all kinds of exciting designs. That is apparently a thing. Just more, Okay, that's interesting. So, like, more than block colours. I've never seen that... Well, I, I can't say I've ever seen a man walking around, especially in rural Dorset, with colourful nails. <laughs> well, unless they've been doing some excessive hardcore gardening. Yes, and it's exclusively brown. <laughs> um, well, that is why we love this slot, Ollie, because in a month's time, you're going to go from never having seen it to having not only embraced mm-hmm. it, but I fully expect you in a month's time, Ollie, not only to have just created your own look, as John in Reading is is tasking you to do, but having actually painted another man's nails, a man you don't know, with your own look. Are they knowing? <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> With consent. Right, oh, okay. Right, well, I look forward to uh, finding out how you've done in a month's time. Uh, now, quickly, we should thank our sponsors. Support for this edition of The Zeitgeist has come from Manscaped. Uh, they do below-the-waist grooming. Mm. Um, so I hesitate to use the word package in this context, but um, did you receive my package in the post, Ollie? Well, uh, a shoebox-type box, very smartly put together. I opened yeah, it, it looks up. like it's a new iPhone, doesn't it? it you must have thought. Well, I was excited. I thought it was yeah. good, because you didn't actually tell me what it was going to be. Opened it up, and then... In massive gold shiny letters <laughs> on a black background, it said, your balls will thank you. And what did you find inside? Again, beautifully packaged, I think. What I now know is called the Lawnmower 3.0 Razor, uh, Ball Deodorant and Ball Toner. <laughs> now, I don't know if you're, I mean, I'm glad that we've never had this conversation before, but sure. we might as well have it now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're someone who indulges in pubic grooming at all. Yes. Oh, you have done that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah I do it relatively regularly, actually. So I'm looking forward to using it. It is really good because I, I used to use a beard trimmer to trim down below. Yeah. And it is, it can go very, very wrong, mm-hmm. very, very quickly. And the great thing about the Lawnmower 3.0 is it is a properly premium specially designed thing for shaving your balls that is what it's for yeah and then i guess you can that's when you use the ball deodorant right which i have used and um it smells lovely well it's also it's again it's just that thing i mean you know if you want to spray your testicles with deodorant that stings when you you know bit of links africa and you feel like you've gone to hospital this is a much better way this is rather rather than a spray it's like a cream it's almost like a moisturizer i mean what a different world we're in now i mean only last month we were talking about you not showering yeah and now i'm deodorizing my balls (laughs) you're deodorizing your balls (laughs) Uh, well you can try the lawnmower 3.0 as well precise trimming and an led light and waterproof technology on the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created And you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MAN, that's M-A-N-N, at manscaped.com. Yeah, now that's the US site. So um, our code does work if you're listening in America, but also if you're listening in Canada or Australia or here in the UK, you can still use our code, but you do need to click the little drop-down menu at the top to select what country you're in. Uh, So yeah, for 20% off and free shipping, use the code M-A-N-N at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Pleasure to speak to you again, Ollie. You too, Ollie. Uh, in a moment, you will meet our guests, Ali and Sarah, and hear about the experience that put an incredible strain on their marriage. Uh, but first, it's time for our record of the month. It's uh, all a bit Queens of the Stone Agey rock disco stuff. It's the new one from Royal Blood, and it's called Troubles Coming. You may have heard this week about a technical glitch at Public Health England, which meant nearly 16,000 COVID-19 cases went unreported. It is just the latest example of our institutions putting blind faith in the accuracy of complex computer systems. And for our middle feature this month, we're bringing you another cautionary tale. Last week, I went to meet Sarah and Ali, 
They're a married couple with kids, they live in the suburbs of London, and I started by asking Sarah how she and Ali had met. My dad owned a franchise business and he was working for my father. What was the business? um, It was a chicken business. Oh, okay, like a fried chicken shop. Yeah, a fried uh-huh. chicken shop. And basically just met there. I used to go into in my lunchtime just to help out. Did you catch each other's eyes or was it more of a slow burn than that? It was funny because um, he actually called me from work and I had just been to the shop to pick things up. And he said to me, can you please write down this number? So I said, yeah, sure, I'll write down this number. And I thought it was probably just another supplier that I have to call back or whatever. And he said, oh, that's my number. I said, right. And he said to me, I'm finishing work late tonight, so please give me a call. And I was like, right. And I was a bit baffled because I didn't see it coming. Uh-huh. And and I was just like, what? And then in the past, I'd helped him get a phone card to call his mum abroad and stuff. And I thought, and I told my mum, oh, he's just told me to call him. She said, oh, he probably needs another phone card or something. And I went, yeah. And my friends were like, no, it seems a little bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, anyway, so I, I, I did call him that night. And I remember talking to him for hours and after that, we started seeing each other. And then three months down the line, told my parents about him and then got engaged. And a year later, we were married. My father gave me a flat after we got married and said to me, sort of like, that's your little bit of income. And I said to my dad, look, I just want to sell it and sort of like invest it in a house. And my dad said to me, well, how about you invest it in a house and a business? So I said, what? Like I did say chicken shop. Um, and he said to me, no, I want a guaranteed income for you because some shops do well, some shops don't. And I'm trying to get you sort of like guaranteed income and a secure business. So I said, fine. So I said to him, what? What do you suggest? And he said to me, a post office. And I was like, really? And he said to me, yeah. He goes to me, a friend of mine's relative is selling a post office and it's doing really well. And... I think it will be the perfect thing for both of you. I did know things about business because I had done a business uh, management degree, but I still didn't know much about post offices apart from the one that I visited locally now and again. Did you think it sounded like a good idea? I liked the fact that it was a secure income and I thought that's great. And I thought, yeah, let's go for it. So yeah, I'd only been in the country for three or four years. So I knew very little about the post office apart from the fact that yes, it's pretty much owned by the government. So it's fairly secure. Um, and there was the retail side. And you get the opportunity, don't you, with the shop side, the retail side, you get the opportunity to do what you want with that. Absolutely. But yeah, with regards to the post office, you know, you have to do things a certain way. What was the training like? Very brief. Post offices offer numerous different services. And what we ended up doing was we ended up employing the previous sub-postmistress sub postmistress the sub postmistress is essentially who has the contract with the post office and is ultimately responsible for running of the post office so sarah was the sub postmistress and i was managing the business there was a lot to learn to begin with a lot to absorb and obviously he was looking to the previous sub postmistress to help him with a lot of the stuff it was december time so a lot of people were using the post office more than usual so many different things from selling stamps, sending packages, foreign currency. There's lots of banking. Um, we had lots of small businesses around us and they would come to us for banking benefits. And then again, just to get the hang of all these different services was, was a huge ask. 
Yeah, so when you said the training was brief, I mean, actually in days, do you remember how long it was? I think it may have been two days. Because you're really young as well at this point. I mean, yes. you're young to have that job, really. We were both very young. So Sarah and I, I was in my early 20s and so was Sarah. So very, very young. I had confidence and I had managed business before. I had worked my way up, whether it be retail or whatever, but I, I knew I was a hard worker. When I was working for Sarah's dad, I think essentially why he'd, he'd agreed for her to marry me is because he knew I was a hardworking, honest person. The plan was for me and Sarah to run the business together, but that didn't quite work out. We found out that Sarah was expecting and she started to feel very unwell. I didn't realise at the time I had other health issues, which they, the doctors weren't aware of my mental health too, to the point where I started feeling suicidal. So I couldn't understand what brought that on. Um, I'd been pregnant before, but this time time it just felt different. And obviously not having him there and his support was putting a lot of pressure on me. We used to balance on a weekly basis on a Wednesday. When we balance or tried to balance, things were not going according to plan and there was always like you know uh, some some kind of a, uh, either a short shortfall or, or surplus so the cash that you had in the till wasn't the same as what the computer was telling you you'd taken so it's not just the cash we count it's literally every single thing from the stamps to every penny you have and it has to to balance it has to match the post office have an IT system called the horizon Horizon. Yes. So that's the system which is being used uh, in the post offices. Uh, at the time, it was a fairly new system. Oh, it's a bit like if if you're in the city, you have a Bloomberg monitor, right? If you run a post office, you have Horizon. You don't have any choice about that. It's just there. We didn't install anything new. This was an existing system which was already there. I mean, initially, it was just a few pounds. Uh, so it wasn't a big deal. Made it good. As time went on, uh, it became more frequent. It was not just a few pounds. I was having to put a lot more money in. How much money? Sometimes it could be tens of pounds. Sometimes it could be hundreds of pounds. Um, So I was basically taking money from my retail side of the business and making this money good. And that's, I mean, if it's hundreds of pounds, that's, I mean, there's a profit margins for a shop selling stationery and newspapers. That's a lot of money, isn't it? It is a lot of money. And it was all adding up very, very quickly. And then it got to the point where we didn't have much in the shop. Then I was getting a lot of it off my father and borrowing of family members to put back. But sometimes it could be 500, sometimes it could be 700. It might be 1,200. My husband was on the phone to the helpline, which was not helpful whatsoever. I used to dread Wednesday because I knew I'm going to be here for a long time, potentially. And I just used to hope that everything was going to be okay. Because if we would close and then I would start counting, I would get on the phone to the helpline and receive absolutely no help whatsoever. So I'd be like, uh, I have a shortfall. I can understand how, can you, are you able to help? And, and literally I was getting no, no support, no advice, no guidance. And the impression we were given every time was, you are the only post office having this problem. That was something I was told numerous times that, oh, it's just this post office having these issues because nobody else seems to be having these problems. The only thing they would say is, okay, you can make it good and hopefully receive something 
uh, in shape of uh, an error notice and that would hopefully rectify the situation. So he wouldn't come home till maybe 10 o'clock at night, gone at maybe 7 o'clock in the morning. I had no idea this was becoming a bigger, bigger problem. And I don't think my husband, though he was telling me, I don't think, I don't think we both realised, to be honest. Maybe he realised, okay, it's getting a bit much now. But I don't think we realised what a big problem it was going to become. That's when I started sort of feeling this is a huge, huge responsibility on my shoulders. Sarah's dad has invested a lot of money, has given us a lot of money. Sarah had to sell a flat, which she invested in this business. We have a loan, we have a house, which is dependent on this income. That's when I really started to feel the pressure. And obviously I was getting angry with him because I felt like, you know, I was now at home with two kids and he was there all hours. Um, it was putting a strain on our marriage. So at times I used to dread coming home in a way because I knew I'm just going to leave one problem and then I'm going to go home and there's going to be something else waiting for me and she's going to... It was very, very difficult. I had to be supportive, but it was very, very difficult to be strong enough to support Sarah during that time. We at times had arguments just so I could go to work because she would not want me to leave her uh, first thing in the morning. And as I was spending a long time, a lot of hours at the post office, she was becoming suspicious at times and wondering why am I spending so many hours in the post office and why am I staying there until so late after closing times and whatever have you. Because I didn't really tell her the full extent of problems at the post office just to basically protect her uh, while she was not very well. Did you have anyone to talk to about it? Um, thinking back, no, I didn't actually. I kept things to myself. I just dealt with it somehow uh, and just hoping that things will, will work out. I just kept looking forward to the receiving the error notice, which never turned up. We were now running out of funds to put back into the post office and we realised we can't be doing this forever. So we need to somehow sell it and get rid of it. I'd taken everything I possibly could have, you know, all, all the family members that were helping. And it was coming to the point where you just couldn't ask anymore. And then there came a day when the audit happened. I was at home in bed and my husband called me and he said to me, the auditors are here. And I said to him, don't worry, I'm coming because I'm the sub postmaster, so I should be there. I dropped my kids off and I went to the business and they were in there count. Well, they, I think they had just finished counting the money. And he said to me, they're saying we're 20,000 plus short. I said, well, maybe they haven't counted properly. Maybe they're missing something. And he said to me, well, no, that's what they're saying. And tw 20 odd short doesn't make sense. And this is in addition to the money that you know that you've made up. Yeah. So this is on top of the money that we've been putting in. So you can presume, therefore, that actually there's more than 30 grand that should be in the post office accounts yeah. that isn't. The next thing the auditors wanted to do was go to my house. Did you have an option? I didn't have anything to hide. So I said, fine, I can take you home now. They went through all the bedrooms. I had a table full of all the paperwork. They went through all of that. 
And they said to me, we can't find a thing. Maybe for a good few weeks, we weren't allowed back in. Into your own post office? Into your own post office. We had to get someone else to run it. Did the customers notice? They must have. And I think it even came up on the local newspaper. At this point, we I was suspended. Because I was a sub-postmistress, so I was suspended. We went for a meeting where I explained what was going on. And they wouldn't have it. They said no, that they were going to terminate the contract. My dad said to me, look, we can pay the 25 grand. That's not a problem. But the thing is, we haven't, you haven't taken it. So by paying it just makes you look guilty. So don't pay it. Let's fight this. And then there was um, a federation of the postmasters. And um, I remember calling them. The guy I spoke to on the phone said to me, oh, don't worry. He wasn't alarmed that there was a shortfall. All he was saying, don't you worry about this. We'll get this sorted. And I can recommend a very good solicitor. And he goes, because you're going to need one. I was just shocked because I was thinking, what? His words were, she is a bitch, but she will fight your corner. Well, she basically said to us that, firstly, for 25 grand, you're just going to get a slap on the wrist. And she said, but you just have to decide between the both of you who's going to take the blame. And if I was you, I would just say, you're guilty, plead guilty. And my husband said, well... We haven't taken the money, so why should we be pleading guilty? She goes, because if you try and fight it, it can come back and and you might get a sentence or something. So it's best just to plead guilty, get a slap on the wrist, and then hopefully that'll be the end of that. A sentence? Yeah. A prison sentence? Yes. Had that even occurred to you? No. Who would be putting you in prison? I mean, who? how does it... Post office. Like, the post office... So the post office, they do their own investigations. They don't refer cases for C- to CPS or the police. But they go to court? They go to court, but they don't have to go to court via CPS. So they do their own investigations, essentially. So you could have ended up with a criminal record because of an investigation by the company that claims you've defrauded them? Absolutely. Totally bizarre, but that's how the post office do things. I don't know, it just felt like unbelievable, like... How can how can you be right and then people be talking about what they're going to do to you for things that you haven't even done? Do you know what I mean? Like, take the, take the money. We hadn't taken the money, so how can we be, be punished for something we haven't done? It just doesn't make no sense to me. I remember going back home and talking to my husband about it, and he was saying to me, look, you know you've been busy, your health has been playing up and everything and it's too much for you, I'm just going to take the blame. By this stage, I was suffering with depression myself. Uh, So my mental health wasn't great. So I don't think I was really taking in a lot of this information because mentally I just, I'd had enough. You probably wanted a conclusion, whatever it was, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I was on medication, you know, I was having panic attacks, I was having anxiety... Um, All triggered by your experience of dealing with the post office. Absolutely, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, as time went on and on and on, my mental my mental health just deteriorated. Had I not trusted my husband, or had he not told me the bits that were happening, um, maybe I would have doubted. I would have doubted him. But me and him had that kind of relationship. Even when he wasn't working for my father, or even when he was working... 
um, you know, his wages would come into the account. He would say to me, oh, you know, you write out the checks for the bills and stuff like we're quite open with money. So I knew that there was nothing that was hidden from me. I really trusted him. It's funny, just the night before the court date, we went for a drive. Because sometimes my older son wouldn't sleep, so we'd go for a drive, just try and get him off to sleep. And I said to, I said to my husband, I said, are you worried about tomorrow? And he goes to me, not really. It's going to be fine, because if we do what we, we've been told, we'll be fine. On the day of the court, um, I remember getting up early. I remember me and my husband having breakfast, and he was... You know, he was running late. And my dad said to me, um, it's okay, I'll go with him. And, you know, you just stay home with the kids and I'll go with him and then we'll just come back. You know, he had his breakfast and left it halfway. And then my dad came and then I dropped them, I think, to the station. He hugged me and kissed me and said, I'll see you in a few hours. And, and that was that. I'd gone to my aunt's house which wasn't very far from my father's office, which I knew that's where they were going to come back to. And my kids were just playing with her kids. And I was just sitting there reading a magazine and I was thinking, they're taking a long time. Eventually there was a knock on the door. And then a cousin of mine and another aunt had just walked in. And I'd never seen that kind of look on their face before. And I remember my cousin, that's like my sister, broke like broke down and I couldn't understand why she was crying and then she said to me Ali's gone to prison I just felt like all of a sudden oh I can't explain it It just felt like my whole life had just been turned upside down and then I heard my dad just got to the office and I remember running to the office. It was only down the road, but I remember running up those stairs and I opened my dad's office door and my dad just standing there. And he said to me, Sarah, it's the first time in my life where I felt like I didn't have control. You see, when you have done something wrong, then I guess it's somewhat easier for you to accept that, okay, this is, I'm paying the price for something I've done. But when you haven't done anything wrong, when you know you have not taken any money, you haven't committed any crime, then it becomes really, really difficult. Had you had the opportunity to say anything? That's a frustrating bit. You can't say anything because you have a lawyer, you have a solicitor, or you have a barrister who's representing you. And you've pled guilty. And you've pled guilty, right, on the advice of your lawyer. Thinking back now, in hindsight, that was the, I think, the, the worst decision I made uh, in my life uh, because I should have never pleaded guilty uh, for something I hadn't done. My father-in-law, he came to the cell and I gave him my watch and my, you know, my things that I, I, I knew I could not take with me. And then when I was being transported in, in one of those vans, which has like a a small compartment in which you sit. It has windows which you can see out from, but you can't see in. I remember, I get goosebumps when I think of this, that I was thinking, this is almost like death. It's almost like I've died because, you know, I was doing normal things and I was expecting to go back and see my family again, be with my family, but all of a sudden, everything's just stopped. And I can see outside, people can't see in. 
um, I'm in this confined space. That's when I felt I have lost my independence, my freedom. That's when I felt like I'm pretty much dead to the world. So the guy that had taken over the post office, I think he paid the first month's rent or maybe a couple of months rent, I don't know. And he said to me, obviously, I've heard. He called me, I said, look, I've heard, I'm really sorry. And I said, yeah. And uh, and he was like, look, you know, I'll, I'll just pay, transfer the money into your account, whatever. I said, yeah, that's fine. And obviously, I was mentally, I was so upset. Um, I was finding it very hard to deal with everything. And then I think it was after a couple of payments he might have made, he said to me, I called him one time, the rent wasn't in the account. And he said, oh, well, you know what? I've managed to speak to the landlord and we're sorting it out. So you don't have to worry. I'll just pay him directly. And I said, OK. I still didn't think anything of it until he once phoned and said they've changed the locks and stuff. And I thought, you know what? He's obviously struck a deal with the landlord. They've basically taken over not the, just the post office and the news agents. They've taken it over. So you no longer have any claim over that shop? No. So I was in a Cat B prison, which is a high security prison. Violent people, you know, people who have done really, really bad things. Were you scared? I was, and I'll tell you why. I was scared because the person I was sharing the cell with, he just did not seem right. So he would stay up all night and he would be doing weird things during the night and talking to himself so he didn't seem mentally stable and that was concerning for me and I was like well this person could be anyone he could be doing anything to me during the night um, did you know what he'd done criminally? I, I didn't he, we never really engaged in a conversation did you go and visit Ali in prison were you allowed to yeah I got lots of visiting orders did the kids Every, no without the kids because it would be difficult for them, like dramatic or... I think I might have taken the kids once when he was transferred to an open prison. Where did you tell them he was by this point? I said to them that he's working away from home. So it's a project he's doing, he has to live away from home. I spent my time, I just put my head down. I, I you know, kept a low profile, did what I had to do. I had to move cells a few times. I was in a cell with a drug dealer I was in a cell with somebody who was uh, in prison for racism or uh, common assault and I was sharing a cell with this person and I was from an ethnic background uh, which again was a bit risky but you know um, fortunately I didn't have any major issues apart from the fact that I was becoming more and more depressed I was taking stronger medication while I was in prison just to cope with, uh, you know, the day-to-day uh, inside prison and just being uh, confined uh, to a cell for 23 hours a day. And then eventually I was moved to an open prison, which seemed a bit better and a bit more... It was easier to cope, although it was much further away for, for Sarah to drive to and for come and see me. So it was difficult for her in that sense, but for me, I guess it was a bit better than being in a Cat B prison. But yeah, he came out obviously with a criminal record on tag. We weren't allowed out after seven. Did you find it difficult to imagine a next step? Yeah, I felt like the things that I originally wanted 
like a home and a business. And even when I bought my home, I bought one of those new homes that you get off plan. So we saw brick by brick go up and we had the chance of like choosing the interior and everything. And I remember every night me and my husband would go past the house and say, oh, it's got to this point now, it's got to this point, we could have a moving date. And, and that year was so great for us because we were getting the house, we were getting the business and everything that mattered to me all of a sudden, a few years later, did not matter anymore. For me then, it was about me, my husband and the kids having our health and being together. How did you get through it? How did we get through it? I think we're still getting through it. And this is how many years later now? 15? 17 years 17 later. 17 years later, yeah. You know, when we moved out of out of the house, um, all the paperwork from the post office and stuff, we threw away. And we had to build ourselves back up again. I was looking for work, I was applying for work and, and legally have to declare any convictions. Um, and, and obviously no one wants to know when you, when you have a conviction, especially when it's uh, for theft. Yeah, it's for theft from a business, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So it's almost, it's, it's like breach of trust and theft and, you know, these are massive things. Yeah. I suppose in a way it's actually easier if you've been in a bar fight, isn't it? At least that's separate from your business life when you're applying for a job. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I remember applying to... 50 plus 60 plus vacancies in one day and receiving nothing back and it was really really difficult but you did to an extent put it past you years went by and then in 2015 Sarah sees an episode of Panorama yes tonight trouble at one of our best loved institutions I wasn't really one to watch Panorama I think I was watching EastEnders. But all of a sudden, I think maybe a few minutes into the programme being on, I think I was just sitting in this position here. Um, the TV was on. And then I, and then all of a sudden, this woman, what she was saying seemed like deja vu. Like we'd already been there. We'd already experienced what she was talking about. But Seema says she struggled to get to grips with Horizon and couldn't understand why losses were being flagged up. When things start getting wrong, this is totally... And you don't get any help. Don't get any help. You don't get any help. And they're basically saying, oh, Mrs. Mishra, you're the only one. Everything, everybody else, we go so many other post office, everybody else doing fine. It's just your branch yeah. having a problem. What was her story? That she had a shortfall. She was in prison. She was pregnant. And they lost everything. And, and she was a sub-postmistress. She was a sub-postmistress. And at that point, I just felt like, oh, my God. Like, you know, we weren't the only ones. My husband was at the gym. So there's me thinking, oh my God, who do I call? Who do I call? My brother's a lawyer, but he's in Dubai. So I quickly called him. I said, I've just watched the Panorama program. And there's this woman on there and she's telling her story, just like what happened to us. And she said to me, okay, what you need to do is try and Google some stuff and try and find out if there's some sort of company you can go to where all of these posts mistresses and postmasters have gone to or there's some sort of community and I said to him I'm so scared to google stuff because I even thought the the federation was on our side and they've basically as far as I'm concerned dug a hole for us and gave us a solicitor who told us to plead guilty and this is how I said I don't trust anyone anymore my husband came home I told him and I thought you know what let's not dig all of this up again let's just let's just forget it yeah you may have seen something but let's not think 
too much about it. Not, let's not start looking into things, you know, unnecessarily. We've left in the past. Just leave it there. Don't don't dig it all up again. I mean, I understand why you'd feel like that. It's not realistic, really, is it? If you know in the back of your mind, that yeah. you went to prison for something that other people, you know, the same experience happened to them. It's always going to be there. Of course it is. Of course it is. But I didn't want her to start worrying and and especially with the kids now being slightly old and understanding some of these things, I thought, let's not, let's not do this to the kids, right? We've been through enough already. So I was quite reluctant to go to the meeting anyway, but Sarah convinced me to go to the meeting. When we got there, there was a hall, hall full of people from different, um, different backgrounds. And I was just baffled. We told our story. All of them could relate to it because they were all in the same. I think we spent hours there. Even after the meeting had finished, a group of us just stood there and shared our stories. And it felt like we'd known these people for years and they could actually understand what we'd been through. And what had you all been through? What was the common factor? That there were huge losses and it was coming from the Horizon system that we, that we were all using. The accountancy software? Yes. So there was a flaw in the accountancy software. Yes. And the post office all along had said, that's completely legit. Yes, it's robust. And how many claimants were there, do you know? In the end, about 550. 550? And there's still more. By the time I think we went through the court case, and I believe a further 900 have come forward that have been affected by the Horizon system. How did that make you feel, that it was just a computer glitch? I mean, you must have always known that it was something like that, but to have it confirmed, it was institutionalised. Very, very angry that these people knew what was going on. What Did they think all of a sudden thieves were born after, what was it, 2000 or 1999? Thieves were all born, like, I mean, you know, taking over their post office. What was... Did they not join all the dots together? Did they not work it out? Did they not understand what they were doing to people and people's lives? And they carried on. They carried on. Up until the court case, I think, a year ago, they were still doing the same thing. Taking people to court. And the software still existed, did it? Yeah. And was still being used in post offices? Yeah. I mean, we were told we were the only people that would have had access to that computer system. But later on, we discovered people in the back office could play around with figures in our branches. So we weren't the only people that had access to our, our accounts. Other people had access accounts. If they made a mistake, how do we know they haven't been in there making mistakes? I mean, I mean, they say that they're sorry, but I don't feel like they're sorry whatsoever. You said earlier that um, pleading guilty was the biggest mistake it's you ever made in your life. But, I mean, have you played through the scenario of what would have happened I if you pled not guilty? I sent to prison. The post office, when they did the investigation, they went to our house, they went through anything and everything they could find. In fact, they found bills, reminders, and, and so on and so forth. They could see that we didn't have any money as such sitting in the bank. Um, in fact, we had red reminders after red reminders because we are trying to put all this money into the post office and, and make things tick. The post office, having done the investigation, did not have any proof or any evidence against me that they could have used in court so it, w it would have been a very very different outcome in my opinion and have you have you met people who did that who pled not guilty yes so in this group there are people who did not plead guilty 
and the, the, the case was dropped. The case was absolutely dropped. We're still fighting for justice. We are still fighting for justice. We've won a couple of court cases against them where Judge Fraser has actually said that the system was not robust and we did come to a settlement and we got a lump sum paid out. Which was what? 58 million, but was given to the investors and the law firm. We only had approximately 11 million left to divide between us. Okay, my maths isn't great, but what did that leave you with at the end? Well, it varied for every single person, um, depending on what you've lost. So if you've lost a lot, you'd get a portion of that back. And that portion is not not nowhere enough, what you've lost. It doesn't even cover the cash loss that you might have put into a post office. So it was thousands, but not close to what you no, lost. No, And what about Ali's sentence? I mean, when you say you're still wanting justice, I mean, in a way, you kind of want that somehow scrapped, don't you? You want course, a, yeah. the sense that he should never have gone to prison. Yeah. How do you go about that? Well, the CCRC, which is a Criminal um, Commission Review, they've been looking at it for the last few years, but it's only now that they've concluded that these convictions weren't safe. So they've said that they've given the post office some time to, I think, put the position on this. And then what's going to happen is it's going to go to Court of Appeal and hopefully get all these criminal convictions overturned. And of course, even if you sort of get your record back, if you like, there's, again, like, what's the sense of real justice? I imagine, like, even financial compensation, if it came, wouldn't really make up for the difference of those 15 years of being stressed about it. No, but it would help. Because we lost our home, we lost our business, we lost any kind of saving we had. To this day, we cannot recover from it. So that all along, the whole point of the court cases were to clear our names... And also to put us back to the position where we were before we ever met the post office. And the post office is one of those trusted brands, isn't it? I think my travel insurance is with the post office. How has this experience made you feel about, I don't think it's too far to say the British establishment, because that's kind of, the post office is part of the British establishment, tied up with the Royal Mail and everything else. How do you feel about systems now? I don't trust systems. You said you didn't tell your kids until recently. How did that come about? I mean, the media did cover this. Uh, There was a second panorama program. And then we were also going to court every now and then to support others and also get some support from others. So as we were going to court, things were coming out. We were discussing things. and, And now they're old enough. So they would ask questions. And then obviously, eventually, we had to tell them. And yeah, now they know the the full extent and what's happened. And they can't obviously believe it, but they are hopeful that all of this will will be sort of rectified. And this summer you've had a computer glitch effectively affecting your family again. Yeah, very frustrating. So it's happening again with my daughter with her results, where again they're relying solely, solely on IT. This is the A-level results fiasco. Your daughter's done a B-tech. That's right. And, it, and the result was, the grade was calculated by a computer unfairly. Yes. Absolutely. Did that make you feel... Can you see the parallel there? Well, straight away. When this thing came out, I was thinking, here we go again. You know, this is completely parallel to what happened with us, with the Horizon system, with the, with the post office IT system. And straight away, I knew there was a problem. But fortunately, this time, they accepted it. 
and they did something about it. But it just goes to show that yes, IT is good, but IT is not perfect. And there could be glitches, there could be problems, there could be bugs. Some people's lives are dependent on these things. So yeah, it, it has huge implications for people. The post office spent more than a decade denying that faults existed in their Horizon accountancy software. The judge in one trial, Mr Justice Fraser, said that the post office's refusal to accept its computer system was faulty amounts to the 21st century equivalent of maintaining that the earth is flat. The scandal has been described as one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in recent British legal history. You can discover more about the incredible court case with all its twists and turns at postofficetrial.com, which is run by the journalist Nick Wallace. And our thanks to Nick for connecting us with Ali and Sarah. We changed their names to protect their own appeal for justice. And the latest, as we record this, is that the post office has said it will not contest 44 out of 47 convictions that are currently being appealed, and that includes Ali's. If you've got a story you'd like to share on this podcast, reach out via the feedback form on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. A gear shift next, as ever, it is the foxhole, and Alex will be discussing rear entry during pregnancy. That's after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time to talk sex with the mistress of, I cannot think of anything creative to say, so I'll just say sex. She's so much more than that. The mistress of sex, Alex Fox. It's the foxhole. Hey, Alex. Hello, Ollie. Sometimes it's nice to just keep things straightforward, isn't it? Now, you've been discussing how you've been doing a lot of video dating for obvious reasons this year, but I understand you have recently left the house with a man. Uh, Yes, and I did so in grand style. I was whisked off to Athens. And there were um, many attractive and exciting elements of that particular rendezvous. But one of the highlights was that I got to go in the cockpit of the plane. Cockpits Uh being, for obvious reasons, they appeal to me as something of a natural habitat. Well, innuendo aside, which is something I rarely say to you... Um, do you see them as sexually charged environments? Like a lot of people genuinely, they find the uniforms and the regulations a bit of a turn on as well as being at 30,000 feet. I thought I was immune to the uniform. I was so very wrong. A, a <laughs> freshly ironed starched shirt, an epaulette and, uh, and a captain's hat. It would appear do tickle my pickle to the extremes. Time for your questions of sex uh, in association with our new sponsors, the Condom People. Tell us about them, Alex. Yes. We have a fresh hero giving me money to talk all things cunny, cummy, sticky and cummy. Uh, They are thecondompeople.com. There's a clue in the name. Um, They sell all sorts of different styles and sizes of condoms, as well as lubes, mailed discreetly at a great price. And our question comes from a man going by the name of M, who says, My wife and I are in the very lucky position of expecting a baby. Hooray! Uh, I know you've covered sex positions whilst pregnant in an earlier episode of the show, but this question is a little more specific. We often engage in anal play. My finger or multiple fingers in my wife's butthole during sex. 
but are now considering full-blown anal sex, as in, I put my member into her parliament. <laughs> We've had anal sex a couple of years ago, but nothing beyond fingers since then. However, uh, we are wondering about whether it's something we need to take precautions with during pregnancy if we try it again. Some research I've seen suggests that it can be problematic. For example, hemorrhoids might be more likely to occur, uh, which can be particularly serious during pregnancy. However, I've seen other sources saying it's completely fine with normal precautions like lube. So, Alex, is this something you are able to provide more definitive advice about? Surprise, surprise, there is limited research in this area because people are afraid of butt stuff, especially within the sanctity of the pregnant woman. Yeah, I mean, it's understandably difficult to replicate in lab conditions, isn't it? Uh, perhaps so, but I think it's also about um, in, an inherent squickness about all things bottom-related and, and, frankly, a little bit of homophobia as well. Um, we know that a lot of straight couples or bi couples are into anal play. It's still massively under-researched. Thankfully, there are experts out there who I've chatted to who've given me some really solid advice about what to do if you want to enter a hole that may have solids in it. The pros of anal sex when you are expecting uh, for some women, and this is going to be dramatically different between individuals, are that because there's increased blood flow to that whole downstairs area, it can actually enhance the nerve sensation. So things like anal play or anal penetration can feel a lot more fizzy, whizzy and uh, enhance your inclination to get busy. And just that in itself is refreshing to hear, actually, because whenever anal sex is discussed... It tends to be, in, in a straight scenario, either like, oh, I've persuaded my wife to let me go up there, all for the satisfaction of the man, um, or actually also for the satisfaction of the man, you know, get her to stick your finger up there. Um, very rarely do we hear about the pleasure for the woman of anal sex. Yeah, in this case, anal sex can, for some women, be even more pleasurable than usual. Um, there's also the fact to consider that hormonal changes that affect the vagina don't affect the anus. So some people will actually prefer the feeling of some bum fun rather than some front bum fun. Um, I had a little chit-chat with Dr. Rebecca Levy-Gant, who's the author of the fantastically named Womb with a View, Tales from the Delivery, Emergency and Operating Rooms. Amazing. Um, and, she, yeah, did she do Howard spend as well <laughs> a passage up india <laughs> come on that's a spontaneous forced pun i mean i don't have them ready you're gonna have to give me a minute after that one that was superb and she made the good point that sometimes because of these hormonal changes, uh, pregnant women can feel extra dryness in their vagina. And whilst the anus, as we've spoken about before, doesn't make its own moisture, um, its natural levels of, of wetness, if you will, are not going to be specifically affected by the pregnancy. So as long as you're using plenty of lube, for some folks, this can be a more appealing option. However, you knew that there was going to be a however, didn't you? Lots of other things in the bum region are affected by mm. pregnancy and there are some, some precautions and some cons that we do need to cover. First up, anal sex can aggravate hemorrhoids. They're essentially uh, varicose veins or, uh, that occur in, in, the, in the bottom area. They don't put the baby at risk if you've got piles, but they can be very itchy or uncomfortable for mum. Now, um, I, ch I chatted to a woman called uh, Deborah Niger, who's an independent midwife and intriguingly a placenta artist. Um, and she told me that actually um, 
if there is a little bit of bleeding from the bottom, so long as you're not direly uncomfortable or in lots of pain, um, then that is perhaps to be more expected if you're playing in the anal area during pregnancy. Of mm. course, if there is any bleeding at all from the vaginal area, then you want to get that checked out with your doctor or your specialist straight away. But she did say um, even, even whilst using lube, you, you're at a slightly higher risk of some mild bleeding. I mean, I'd just perhaps amp up the precautions that you would usually take if you were uh, indulging in anal play. Things like using lashings of lube, going really Soft. slowly. Yeah. yeah. Um, during pregnancy, um, constipation tends to be an issue. That can make anal play a, just a little bit more of a... A, a, a little bit more of a, of a challenge for some people and potentially a bit more uncomfy. Um, there are some other warnings I need to give here. It's always very important to take care if you are transferring either a penis, a toy or fingers from the anal area to the vaginal area. Bacteria that live in the butt do not play well with the vag. So um, change condoms? Is, yeah, either wash your hands, your penis or your toy or change to a fresh condom. This is particularly important when you're expecting because um, that transference of bacteria can cause things like bacterial vaginosis, which if left to uh, to brew, can actually increase the risk of miscarriage or a preterm labour. Um, it can give you a UTI, a urinary tract infection. Um, on, a, on a mild level, that's more of an inconvenience but again if it's left untreated it can cause you to go into labor early that's a really good point because a lot of people as well wouldn't be using protection during pregnancy for obvious reasons would they they'll be thinking well what's the worst that can happen but that is something that can happen yeah, considering condoms for hygiene as well as for contraception um, is particularly is is perhaps more crucial than people realise. I don't think it would occur to a lot of people that they might still need to use condoms or to be super super aware of hygiene. But it's just worth if you are going in the brown eye, keep your your eyes open to potential risks. That goes for STIs as well. As per usual, because the tissues in the anus are quite thin and easily rupture, it's a lot easier to pass on an STI via that kind of method. And if you contract an STI whilst you're pregnant, that might endanger either your health or that of the baby. So again, the standard stuff, knowing your status, getting tested and using precautions as and where necessary. Okay, so are there any circumstances in which this is an absolute no-no? Yeah, if your doctor has told you that you have any kind of high-risk aspect to your pregnancy, anything requiring what's known as pelvic rest, then you shouldn't be having anal sex. Or if you've been told that you have what's called a placenta previa, um, which is where the placenta actually sits quite low in the womb and covers the cervix, then having anal sex can be a bit of an additional danger because the tissue separating the anal passage and the womb and cervical area is actually quite thin. If you're poking the placenta repeatedly with a penis, essentially, then you can cause it to rupture. But if those things are not present, then it is important to underline, quite possible to have sexy fun during pregnancy, right? 
Sure thing. I mean, you might want to consider your positions as well. All women in the third trimester of pregnancy are advised not to lay on their back for too long because um, essentially it means that all the goodness inside of them can uh, slide upwards and place pressure on the heart and uh, and the arteries around that and that can cause issues. So uh, avoid positions like uh, anal missionary. Uh, most people find that quite uncomfy anyway and uh, tend to find um, a bodily arrangement where the woman is laying on her side to be more practical and to be more cosy. So something like spooning, a big a big spoonful of anal greatness. Helps the medicine go down. <laughs> now, Em, I'm aware that all these warnings I've had to give are a bit full of doom and gloom and maybe won't inspire you to do any boom boom in the womb or in the back door. Uh, so I have a lovely little story that hopefully will inspire you that I've gleaned from a friend whose wife is currently pregnant for the second time. He says he's got really into giving oral sex because his wife's bits and pieces taste dramatically different when she's expecting. And during pregnancy number two, he says there's a, a there's a very distinctly different flavour than pregnancy number one. He's not furnished me with details, but um, I hope that he does tell his future children um, what their mum's what their mum's vag tasted like. I mean, and that's possibly the point at which your definition of a lovely little story separates from everyone else's. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, if you have a question of sex for Alex to answer in a future edition of the Foxhole, what do you have to do with it, Alex? Just zip and zap yourself over to modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and hit feedback. And our thanks to our new sponsors, The Condom People, thecondompeople.com, where you can purchase premium condoms and lubricants at your pleasure discreetly. Yeah, they've got some of my favourite brands, including Wingman, uh, which have uh, a condom designed with a little applicator that actually allows you to put them on in the dark using just one hand. And you don't have to go around looking in the shops for them. You can get them delivered right to your door. And they will even offset the carbon emissions, or the hard-on emissions, if you will, uh, (laughs) of those deliveries. So you can rock somebody's world and make the earth move without destroying the globe. Uh, They also offer a 15% off discount just for you Modern Man listeners. How does that work, Alex? You use the code FOXHOLE, F-O-X-H-O-L-E, and then they'll knock that 15% right off for you. So that's thecondompeople.com and use the code FOXHOLE for 15% off. Alex, it's been a pleasure as ever. A treasured one, Ollie. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this month's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It is Ramanuj from Ajax Canada, who says, Ollie, I love your podcast. I've been listening to it since you started, and I've been meaning to send you some beer money for quite some time. But it was COVID that finally spurred me into action. Finally the good side of coronavirus. Uh, I look forward, he says, to the 10th of each month to see a new episode drop into my podcast feed. It really helps me disconnect from all the stresses around me and focus on the pleasure of listening. Uh, That is lovely to hear, Ramadouche. Thank you very much. And I now pronounce you Ambassador of Ajax which is a suburb of Toronto, fun fact. Uh, that is it. Our theme music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you with something new on November the 10th.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.